Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verse number 17 this evening. We have made it to the 10th commandment. And so this is the final of the Decalogue, the list of 10 that God gave to Moses and the children of Israel. We will continue our study on after this, but this will be the final sermon in this section on the Ten Commandments. It is found in verse number 17, and it says this, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Let's pray. Lord, once again, it is our desire to draw near to you. It is our hunger for your word that brings us here this evening. Lord, I do pray and ask that you would help us to dig into the text of this scripture and to see what uh, you are instructing your people about. Father, I pray and ask that you would just empty me of self and fill me with your spirit, that you would help me to make a clear presentation of this command, and that we might understand the, the underlying danger that is here for all of us, Lord, and may we realize and see it for how awful and offensive it is to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you think about this commandment in comparison to all of the other commandments on this list, we can't help but notice that all the other commandments are addressing external actions. Uh, uh, honor father and mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Have no other gods before me. Make no graven images. Uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Those are external actions or they are represented in external actions. But this commandment, the 10th commandment, uh, addresses an internal intention and that internal intention is not just a desire it is a sinful desire it is called covet and thou shalt not covet God says uh, anything that belongs to your neighbor anything that doesn't belong to you as you think about that and the significance of that fact that God gave out of these ten commandments he gave one that dealt with intention not just with action. And it's a reminder to us that uh, God can judge the heart as well as the actions. If you remember, Jesus said that covetousness was a heart issue in Mark chapter 7 when he's speaking to the Pharisees and he says, you wash the outside of the platter and you go through the ceremonial washing of your hands. But look, that's not the part that defiles a man. It's not what goes into his body that he's eaten with unceremonially clean uh, hands. It is that which is in in the heart of man that comes out and he said what's in the heart of man is fornication and lying and theft and covetousness and so what we understand about this issue of covetousness is that it is a heart issue and it reminds us that God judges our thoughts as well as our actions hold on for a moment that changes everything right because we're pretty good at behaving on the outside I mean, I, I've even been able to teach my kids to behave pretty good on the outside, right? They, they can restrain themselves from certain actions in public. But you know, we're not always that good at restraining our thoughts 
or our desires or the things that go on on the inside. Aren't you glad that you don't have some type of screen or monitor above your head that shows everything you ever think? We'd all be in jail, wouldn't we? We'd all be in trouble. We wouldn't have any friends. I'm telling you, there are things that go through our mind that even shock us sometimes. And this is a serious, serious command when you consider that God is telling us not to do something that is internal, which means that God can see and know what happens in our hearts and in our minds, and he is going to judge us for that. Jesus made this very clear in his first sermon in the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember, he says something like, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But I say, if you've been angry with your brother to say, thou fool, that thou art guilty. And he also says this, which really, I think, demonstrates it the best. In Matthew 5, 27 and 28, he said, you've heard it said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. You know, when we think about the judgment of God, we have to understand that when we stand before God to be judged, he's not just going to judge us on our actions. It's not enough that we just kept the law of man and stayed out of jail or out of prison or didn't get into any serious trouble, God knows every thought, every desire, every temptation, every lust, everything that has went on in our hearts and minds. And so that is a a disturbing reality when people think about standing before God to be judged. If they're going to be judged by their thoughts, there's not one person who will be able to claim innocency before God. I would remind you that just because this is the last commandment, it doesn't mean that it is the least commandment. I would say that it is one of the most deadly issues that is dealt with in all the Ten Commandments because covetousness is a secret sin that is easily concealed from others. You could be sitting here tonight coveting And nobody else around you would know. Those are dangerous sins. Those sins that we can hide from everybody else. Those sins that we can keep as pets. Those sins that we think aren't hurting anyone. So we don't have this urgency to repent of them. And to be cleansed of them. And uh, to be uh, directed away from them. But let me remind you that even though we might be able to conceal our covetousness from everybody around us, we cannot conceal it from God. And so the Bible has a lot of admonition for us about this issue of covetousness because it is a temptation for all of us. Covetousness is a temptation for all of us. In this command, he tells us that we are not to covet our neighbor's house or our neighbor's wife or our neighbor's manservant, maidservant, ox. Basically, he is saying we're not supposed to covet anything that doesn't belong to us. And I've got to tell you, in the age that we live in, especially with the Madison Avenue advertising industry, They are banking on the fact that you and I covet. 
that we are not content with the car we have. We want the car they're advertising. We're not satisfied with the old house we live in. We want the new house with the latest designs and appliances. We're not content with the clothes that we have. We want the new style or the new fashion and fads. You understand that works because there's something inside of us that tends towards coveting. No doubt there's got to be some different degrees to that. But uh, let's not uh, be ignorant of the fact that uh, there is an unsaved world out there that wants to get you to covet so you will go out and spend your money on their stuff instead of other things. And so God has quite a bit of admonition for us because it's a temptation for all of us and, and only you can control your coveting. Nobody else can control that, right? Uh, you might be able to restrain somebody from stealing. Right? In, in the old days, they would cut off a hand for stealing, and that was a huge deterrent for that. You might be able to restrain somebody from committing murder because that requires physical action. But do you understand? You cannot restrain somebody from coveting. God created the mind free, and nobody, nobody can enslave it. And so you and I are the only ones that can control what goes on in our heads and in our hearts. And so what I'd like to do this evening is take up the sword of the Spirit, right? The Word of God and arm ourselves for the battle uh, of covetousness because we are going to be faced with temptations. Satan is going to dangle those carrots in front of us. There is something in us that has a propensity to covet, to desire, to want. And so there is a battle that's going to be waged in our lives at points in our lives, sometimes it is more intense than it is at others. But if we arm ourselves with the Word of God, if we dig into God's Word and we see what God has said about covetousness, if we equip the Holy Spirit of God with those uh, scriptures, then He is able to use those in our lives when we are tempted to covet. God can bring those to our attention and help restrain us from falling for that temptation. And so I've got seven Seven uh, issues here for you tonight, seven passages of Scripture, seven truths about covetousness I'd like to share with you. Number one, God hates covetousness. God hates it. God absolutely hates covetousness. He's not indifferent to it. He's not a little bit uh, uh, against it. The Bible says he hates it. The text is Psalm 10, verse 3. And it says this, For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. Now, that's a strong word. That's one of those old King James words. To abhor means that it is something that repulses you and something that disgusts you and something that you want nothing to do with. Like you might abhor spiders in the house or you might abhor a snake. God abhors covetousness. God hates covetousness. 
One of the things that helps me in my Christian life as I seek to walk with the Lord and do what he wants me to do is to know those things that God hates, right? Proverbs, these six things that does God hate, yet seven are an abomination to him. If I know that it's on God's hate list, then it raises it up on my radar screen and reminds me this is something that I need to stay away from. If God hates it, I ought to hate it. Which really leads to the second truth I'd like to share with you. Number two, godly people hate covetousness. Godly people hate covetousness. If you would turn back just a couple of pages in your Bible to Exodus 18, verse 21. Exodus 18, verse 21, if you remember in that text, uh, Moses' father-in-law Jethro has come to visit him, and he sees that Moses is judging the people, and so he is there from morning till night, and all the people are coming to him with all of their issues from the smallest to the largest, and Jethro said, hey man, you're going to wear yourself out, you're going to wear the people out. What you need to do is be, find you some good men, some godly men, uh, that you can put over this thing and have judges. And in Exodus 18, verse 21, he says this, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, look at the next statement, hating covetousness and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. This is a reminder to me that godly people hate covetousness, that not everybody in the world is for it. You know, when I, before I was saved, when I was living in sin, I was surrounded by people who were unsaved or who were away from the Lord, and it's amazing how accepting of things you become when your peer group is also accepting of those things. I've got to be honest with you, I, I didn't think that it was that big of a deal to smoke pot before I was saved because a lot of people I was around was smoking pot. And by the way, there were a lot worse drugs than that at the time. And I wasn't doing those, I was just doing this. And, and, and it's amazing how that when we uh, surround ourselves with certain peers, then all of a sudden it influences how we view things. And it's a good reminder to us that, that godly people hate covetousness because God hates it. They hate what God hates and that it is not something that those who seek to be godly uh, want to have in their life. Proverbs twenty-eight sixteen says this, The prince that wanteth understanding is also a great oppressor, but he that hateth covetousness shall prolong his days. Hey, Proverbs uh, there is reminding us again that godly people hate covetousness. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with hate if we hate the right things. If we hate what God hates, then we're hating the right things. If we hate evil, if we hate injustice, if we hate covetousness, we are hating what God hates. And that, my friends, is going to be a great asset to us in this battle against covetousness. Number three, covetousness leads to other sins. Covetousness leads to other sins. Uh, Joshua chapter 7, verses 20 and 21. If you remember, uh, Joshua and the people of Israel have entered the promised land. 
They have fought the battle of Jericho. It really wasn't a fight. They marched around it seven days. Seventh day, they marched around seven times. They blowed the trumpet, and the walls fell down, and they took it. And then God said, hey, look, this is my city. I don't want you to take anything out of this city. The other cities will be yours. You can take the spoils out of them, but this one is the first fruits, and it goes to me. And so they took the city, and they go back to camp, and they go out the next time to fight a smaller city, the Battle of Ai. And they think, well, this is just a small group. We don't need that many men. And when they go to fight the battle, they lose. They are put to shame. They are run off. And when Joshua goes to the Lord about it, what he finds is that somebody in the camp has sinned. Somebody took something out of Jericho. And so Joshua goes through the process of going through the 12 tribes and through the families of each tribe. And it narrows down to a man named Achan. And Joshua says, give God the glory. Tell us what you did. I want you to listen to Achan's confession. In Joshua 7, 20 and 21, Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. Watch. Then I coveted them and took them. Notice it started with covetousness. Covetousness leads to other sins. If we allow that to take up space in our minds, if we allow our hearts to entertain covetousness, It is not likely to remain just in the mind or in the heart. It is going to cause us or lead us into other sins. It can cause us to take things that are forbidden or it can cause us to reprioritize our finances so that we overextend ourselves and buy something that we don't need or or shouldn't spend the money on. Do you know the number one reason why people don't give, why Christians don't give um, tithe, offerings, those sorts of things? It's not simply because they are stingy and indifferent. In the United States, it's because the majority of people have overextended themselves financially. With the easy access to credit, that we can get credit lines uh, and we can spend credit, Uh, we oftentimes have amassed enough debt that it takes all of our income to try and service that, and it doesn't leave very much room for giving to God. I would say, if I'm diagnosing, that that is probably an issue of covetousness. We saw something that we wanted, and we made a poor financial decision to get it, And now we have strapped ourselves so much that we can't give to the Lottie Moon. Boy, I sure would like to give that Lottie Moon Christmas offering. I wish I had the money to give to them missionaries. They're so deserving. But you know, I got to make the house payment. I got to make the car payment. I got to make the pennies payment. I got to make the belt payment. I got to make. And we go through the list and we've got this, this huge account of debt that we've overextended ourselves and we can't afford to give. And so covetousness can lead us into other sins. Number four, covetousness angers God, demands his disciplining hand, and forfeits his fellowship. That's a mouthful, isn't it? 
Uh, Isaiah chapter 57. Let me say that again while you find your place in Isaiah 57. Covetousness angers God, demands his disciplining hand, and forfeits his fellowship. Hey, we know that God hates covetousness, but is he just going to sit up there on his throne in a harumph when we are guilty of coveting? Or is his hatred for covetousness going to have an effect on us? Well, according to Isaiah, our covetousness angers God, demands his disciplining hand, and forfeits his fellowship. Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I be always wroth. For the spirit should fail before me and the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth and smote him. I hid me and was wroth. And he went on frowardly in the way of his heart. Notice the chain of events. The cause is the iniquity of covetousness. The result is that God is angered. He is wroth, it says. Not only is he wroth, but it brings his disciplining hand. I smote him. And then it also forfeits fellowship. God says, I hid me or I withdrew from them. And they went on in their froward way of their heart. And so covetousness, when we choose covetousness, we're choosing something that is going to anger God. We choose something that is going to force God to discipline us. And we choose something that is going to cost us fellowship with God. In my house, uh, raising these boys, I always thought that it was good for them to know what the rules are and uh, that uh, they know that there is a, a consequence for breaking the rules. And so my kids, uh, if they did something for the first time, they didn't know it was a rule, there would be grace and say, okay, maybe I haven't covered this before, but here, I don't want you doing this. Here is the rule. Once they knew the rule, if they chose to break the rule, to disobey, or whatever it may be, they forced me or put me in a position where I had to discipline them. Because I learned one of the greatest things that I can do for my kids is be consistent. If I tell my child, you, you're going to get in trouble if you do this, and they do it and they don't get in trouble, I've just told them I'm a liar. I don't mean what I say. And too often, too often in our grace or our reluctance to want to discipline our children we we threaten we threaten we threaten we threaten we threaten and we don't follow through let me tell you something God doesn't parent like that God doesn't threaten God doesn't wait until you got on his last nerve for his disciplined hand to come God has set forth the rules God has given us his instruction God gives us grace but when we choose to consciously disobey what God has said, it will bring the disciplining hand of God into our life. And while Hebrews describes that hand as being very unpleasant for the moment, it 
yields the wonderful, peaceable fruits of holiness in our lives. And so covetousness angers God, demands his disciplining hand, and forfeits his fellowship. Number five, the word of God counteracts covetousness. Say, okay, I understand God, God is against this. God will have to correct me for this. What is something I can do that will help me avoid covetousness? Well, according to Psalm 119, verse 36, the word of God counteracts covetousness. Psalm 119, verse 36, the psalmist wrote, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies. That was a synonym for the word of God. By the way, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in all of the Bible. There's 176 verses. 173 of those 176 verses have a reference to the word of God. It refers to it as testimonies, statutes, commandments, word, uh, so on and so forth. And so it is all about the word of God. And the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 36, incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Think about that. It is like we have a map. It is like we have cardinal directions of east and west. And he says, God, incline my heart toward your testimonies, toward your scripture, toward your word, and not toward covetousness. And so the closer I get to this, the further I get away from covetousness but watch the further I get away from this the closer I will get to covetousness and so the word of God is something that is described in many ways it is described as bread that gives us strength and fuels us it is described as water that refreshes us but it is also described as a knife that uh, performs surgery and cuts away things in our life and a hammer that breaks up the hardness and chips away the corners of our life and so when we get into the word of God we are allowing God to use his word to mold us and to strengthen us and to help us and one of the areas in which it will help us is it will help us not to be covetous number six covetousness is a sin of dissatisfaction with God and the things he has provided covetousness is a sin of dissatisfaction with God and the things he has provided we find this truth in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know, we oftentimes quote the second half of that verse. God said he'll never leave you or forsake you. And we celebrate that promise that as children of God, he will never leave us or forsake us. No matter what we go through, God will go through it with us. But you and I need to understand that this is the conclusion to a statement that begins at the beginning of that verse. And that statement is, let... Your conversation be without covetousness. 
we use that word conversation just to mean dialogue, verbal dialogue. In the day that the Bible was translated, that word conversation meant your manner of life, your deportment, the way that you carry yourself, your daily living. And so God is saying, let your manner of life, let your daily living be without covetousness. Instead, he goes on to say, be content with the things that you have. Well, how can I be content? I'm driving this old jalopy over here. My neighbor's driving that nice car over there. How am I supposed to be content with this? Well, that's where the second half of the verse comes in. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You and I can be content with less in the material realm when we have God in our lives. You see, he is the greatest source of satisfaction and contentment. If God can't make you content, then nothing else will. It doesn't matter what car you drive, doesn't matter what house you live in, doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank or retirement or any of that. If God is not enough to make you content, you will not be content with anything else. One of the great accusations of capitalism is the rich keep getting richer. Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is when you have capital, you can make more money. The other is they want more. Why? Because it's not enough to be a millionaire. You want to be a billionaire. And you want to add to the billions. What, that's the nature of human beings, especially the lost ones. But when we can find our contentment in God and say, God, I'm satisfied with you. Right? Like the old song that we sing, I'm satisfied with the cottage below. Right? We sing it, but do we mean it? You see, the Bible is telling us that covetousness is a sin of dissatisfaction with God. It's saying, I'm not satisfied. You're not satisfying me, God. I need more. I want this. You haven't treated me right. If you were treating me right, I would have what my neighbor has. If you were treating me right, I'd have as much money as this person has. If you were treating me right, I'd be able to go on the trips and the vacations that that person goes on. When we need to realize that that has nothing to do with how much God loves us. And so we don't need to be covetous. We need to be content. We need to learn that we have the greatest riches in the world in Christ. We have something that money cannot buy. We have something that satisfies our soul. So what's the big deal about a little fantasy if we don't act on it? I mean, I hear you, I hear you, preacher, you're telling me God doesn't like it, and it can lead to other sins, and, and yeah, I understand I'm supposed to be, but really, what, what's the big deal? I mean, if it's just a fantasy, I mean, it just happens in my, I mean, we're talking about coveting, you're, you're, we're not talking about stealing, we're not talking about embezzling, we're not talking about hoodooing and, and doing people wrong and ripping people off and, and doing it. We're, we're just talking about coveting, just, just daydreaming about the stuff that we wish we had. Well, the big deal is the final point I want to share with you tonight, number seven, and that is covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. If you have your Bible, I invite you to see this with your own eyes in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 5, the Bible equates covetousness with idolatry. 
The chapter begins by telling us to be followers of God as dear children, to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a sweet-smelling savor. Uh, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. It has no place in a Christian's life. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking or jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Verse 5, watch this. For this you know, that no whoremonger, we judge him, mm -hmm, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, uh-oh, who is an idolater. Do you notice that clause doesn't follow the whoremonger and it doesn't follow the unclean person? It follows the covetous man. The covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. The Bible is equating covetousness with idolatry. I don't know any Christian in the world who would knowingly, willingly bow down to an idol, say their prayers to an idol, make a sacrifice to an idol, proclaim that that idol is their God, or pray to that idol for the things that they are desiring or seeking in life. And yet, Satan is so slick in his ability to tempt us to sin that he veils idolatry in covetousness and that when you and I succumb or give in to covetousness we are actually giving in to idolatry but it doesn't just say it once in the Bible it says it again in Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 the apostle Paul writes it again at the end of verse 5 he says covetousness which is idolatry in case we missed it the first time he is reminding you and I as New Testament Christians that covetousness as one of the Ten Commandments is there because it's a serious issue for us in the New Testament as well and it is actually the sin of idolatry you see Coveting is not a benign mental exercise. It is an act of idolatry. It is a desire out of order. The technical definition is an inordinate affection or an inordinate desire. That means that it is a desire that is out of order. We've moved it up in the priority list to a place that it shouldn't be. And when we do that, we're showing a discontent for God. Well, God, you're not God enough for me because I'm not happy with what I have. I want more. I want this. I want that. And that inordinate desire is actually an expression of idolatry. And so I would say to you, dear brother and sister, let us be careful not to covet, especially during this highly commercialized time of Christmas. Let's not get our wanters wanting too many things. Let's not allow our attention to get focused on other things. I don't know if, uh, if you're thinking you've never experienced it in, in your life, but I know that I have in my life. I know especially when I was younger, especially before I was saved, Man, there were times that I wanted things that I thought was just would make my life so much better. 
I, I remember one time that I wanted to buy a car that a friend of mine had. It was a Fox Body Mustang. And back then, in the day, I mean, that, that was a long time ago. So that was a pretty neat, nice car. It had a 302. It was fast. He had agreed upon a price, and I could come up with that money. And, man, that's all I could think about. It's all I could think about. I got up in the morning thinking about that. I can't wait till I get the car. 302, it's got a five-speed. Man, I'm just going to tear it up uh, going down the road and go to bed thinking about it. And that kid came back to me and said, my dad won't let me sell it. And I'm telling you, I was crushed. I, I, I went into depression because my heart was set on that car. And I got genuinely depressed because I couldn't have it. I couldn't get it. Now, it may not have been a car for you. It may have been a lifestyle. It may have been a house. It may have been a person, right? Don't covet your neighbor's wife. You see, you and I have to realize that when we covet, we begin to obsess about whatever that object is. And that obsession is the same as idolatry. It takes the affection that should be going to God, the contentment that comes from God, and it focuses it on something else. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I do thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you speak right to our lives, that these are issues that if we're honest, that we have dealt with and do deal with. Lord, it's so difficult for us sometimes as flawed sinful human beings to keep our affections in order they're so easily gotten out of order and we can fixate on things lord i pray and ask that you'd help us to fixate on you that you would be the object of our worship that we would dwell with you in your word and in your prayer each and every day and that we would fill our hearts with you and we'd fill our hearts with contentment so that there is nothing in this world that we long for more than you. God, help us to live out this desire, I pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.